Perhaps uh, one of the most uh, impressive physical feats I have ever witnessed in my life was witnessing uh, Allie give birth. <laughs> uh, if you've ever uh, witnessed uh, this sort of phenomena of birth, uh, you know that like the sheer strength and determination and focus and fortitude and just overall endurance is like something that's amazing and something that's very, very uh, inspiring. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically about uh, Rhea's birth. Uh, it was, there was a sense that like, the, the closer that we got to uh, Rhea actually coming, like, the, the more intense things got, the more pain there was, the more like, just challenge that there was along the way. And yet, uh, in this sort of like, paradoxical way, like, the more me standing there, uh, like, the more awe-inspired I got. Because it seemed like the more the intensity rose, like, the more focused and the more determined Allie got. And it was as if everything else in the world just kind of melted away and it was just this moment. And it was just something to like uh, be struck by. Uh, afterwards, uh, Allie told me that um, the words of Jonas uh, actually rang through her ears throughout the, the, the process. Specifically, this word through. Uh, if you've ever heard Jonas talk about Psalm 23, he says, like, you get to the, the center of it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And through is the linchpin to it all. Through is the thing that holds it all. Like, you don't make your, your home in the valley, but you go through it. And so Allie said that this word through kept ringing in her ears, and the, the word through, well, got her through it, right? And the reason why through got us through it is because, like, we knew where the story was going. Uh, we knew where things were headed. Uh, we knew that the story would um, end with us holding this precious little baby in our hands. And as uh, cliche as it may sound, like, uh, all of that, all of the pain, all of the difficulty, all of the, the intensity would somehow be worth it um, the moment that like, we got to hold her for the first time. Now, as we uh, continue on in uh, Romans, uh, this morning we, we turn our attention to Romans chapter 8. And here we get to sort of the, the, the climactic sort of summit of Romans as a whole. And as we get to this climactic sort of, Roman, or climactic sort of summit of Romans, uh, Paul here turns his attention and compares this present reality that we find ourselves in uh, to that of a woman in labor pains. And so, uh, Romans chapter 8, Paul turns his attention now to the work of the Spirit and the, the life-giving, liberating work that the, the Spirit plays in our life. And as we get about halfway through chapter 8, uh, we get to verse 18 and we read, I believe that the present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed to us. There's a lot here that I think is worth just sitting on for just a second. Paul acknowledges, first of all, that there is present suffering. And we're like, yeah, Paul, like, we get that, right? <laughs> all of us have had some sort of suffering in our life. Like, this is part of our, our present reality, that there is pain, there's loss, there's suffering, there's injustice. Like, this is part of our present reality. Um, this is the present reality of people that we know. This is like our, our corporate, collective sort of present reality as we find ourselves at the, uh, on the other side of uh, a global pandemic, Right? This was a, a shared sort of suffering that we experienced over the last number of years. And this is a, a reality that Paul himself would have had, that he would have known suffering and pain and loss and grief and injustice. I mean, just read the back half of Acts and you see all of the, the suffering that Paul went through as he was committed to this journey of sharing the good news of Jesus. So Paul is somebody that knows this present suffering like in his own flesh and bones. 
And yet he has the audacity to say that I believe that this present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed to us. See, for Paul, in light of, uh, for Paul, he knows that the story is heading somewhere. He knows where the story is going. Where the story is going is a glory that's going to be revealed to us. Um, now, I've confessed before, uh, I, I, don't, um, I don't love Christian-y sorts of words, like the word glory. Uh, it often feels like filler in prayers when we don't know what to say. We say, the glory of God, right? Because it sounds like a good thing. Um, but here, for Paul, it's not just like a Christian filler. Like, for Paul, like, this story is heading somewhere, and it's heading to glory. And so I had to, like, set aside my own sort of stuff this past week and sit with this word glory and figure out what it means. And when you, you peel back the religious sort of context of it, like, in its original sort of meaning, uh, it would have meant something like heaviness or a weightiness. Uh, like in a literal sense or perhaps even in like a metaphorical sense. Like when you're having a conversation with a friend at a coffee shop and like you can tell that the conversation's starting to get real and you're like, okay, I need to stop trying to listen in next door and like pay attention and hone into what's happening here. Like there's a glory being revealed in that conversation, a heaviness, a weightiness. Uh, it can also carry with the sense of like uh, proving that something is worth what it is. Like, you say it's worth this much, so, like, prove it. Like, put it on a scale. Like, that's revealing the glory of it. And so, um, the Christian tradition has taken this, and our, our friends in the Eastern Orthodox Church talk about the glory of God being the manifesting energies of God. That's a, that's a, that's a big phrase. I have no idea what it means, but it's a good phrase, right? But I think when it comes to, like, the glory of God, like, what we're talking about is God and all of God's fullness being revealed. The goodness of God being revealed, the love of God being revealed, the peace of God being revealed, the justice of God being revealed, the grace of God being revealed, the mercy of God being revealed, the redemption, the renewal, the reconciliation of all things of God being revealed, the newness of all things being made in God being revealed to us. And for Paul, this is where this story is going. To all of this goodness of God finally once and for all being revealed in all of its goodness, all of its fullness. And Paul says that I believe that the present suffering is nothing compared to that. Those are like really big, bold things to say in light of the present reality and the present sufferings that we experience. But for Paul, there's some sort of like dogged conviction that where this story is headed is somewhere Good. So Paul continues on here and he says that the whole creation waits breathlessly with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Meaning when we like take our place as like the stewards of creation, caring for the world the, the way that uh, God intended for us. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of the one who subjected it, but in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. And it's not only the creation. We ourselves who have the spirit as the first crop of the harvest also groan inside as we wait to be adopted for, and for our bodies to be set free. So Paul talks about this present reality, this present suffering that we find ourselves in. And here now he compares it to the sense of like labor pains. And he says that, that creation, not just, not just creation like the, the soil and the dirt that we can get our hands on, but us within the creation, that all of creation finds itself like pregnant with anticipation 
pregnant with this sense that the story is heading somewhere, that the story is going somewhere. And for those of us who have given ourselves to the, story, to the, to the Jesus story, like we're the, the first fruits of that. We've gotten a glimpse of it in Jesus, and that creates this longing even more. This longing for this newness is even more intense. This longing for this glory to be revealed is swelling up within us. And yet, we wait. We wait because that glory hasn't yet fully been revealed to us. And in the midst of this waiting, there is this very real sense of this present suffering and pain and loss and grief and injustice. And this waiting feels like pain. Specifically, as Paul says, something like labor pain as we wait for this story to head somewhere, for there to be something like a birth of new creation. So what is sort of like our posture in the midst of this waiting? What does the Jesus story invite us into uh, in the midst of this waiting, in the midst of these labor pains? Well, Paul continues on here and he says that we were saved in hope. If we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. But who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait with it for patience. Now, a quick uh, literary, uh, or literacy pop quiz. Um, what does Paul say our posture should be in the midst of this waiting? Hope. Okay. It's Pentecost. You can talk back today. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, hope. Like Paul says that our, our posture in the midst of this waiting is this idea of hope. But hope is also like one of these words like glory. Like what do we mean when we talk about hope? In his book, uh, Good to Great, uh, Jim Collins talks about uh, an interview that he had with a man by the name of James Stockdale. And uh, Stockdale was an admiral in the U.S. Navy during the Vietnam War. And he found himself being a prisoner of war for something like eight years. And the POW camp that he found himself in was a really like, difficult and just painful one. Uh, and he found himself in this unique position of not only trying to like survive for himself, but also like being an officer in the military and having other people looking to him for his own sort of leadership. And uh, um, so he spends eight years in there. He gets out. And on the other side of it, him and his wife write a book uh, about their experience. They kind of take turns in the chapters of it. And uh, Jim Collins said that as he was getting ready for this interview with uh, Stockdale, uh, he, he read the book and he just found himself feeling so incredibly depressed. <laughs> like the story had like no sort of hope in it. And he was like, and I knew where the story was going. <laughs> so one of his first questions to Stockdale was like, you didn't know where the story was going, so like, how did you, how did you do it? And Stockdale's response to him was, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted that, I, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect I would not trade. Now, that's one of those answers that, like, you don't respond quickly to. You just kind of let sit in the air, right? And so that's what Collins did. And then he said after a minute, he, he spoke up and he said, who, who didn't make it out? And Stockdale said, oh, that's easy, the optimists. And Collins was like, well, based on that definition, uh, I'm confused. Like, what do you mean by the optimist? He's like, well, it was easy. The optimists were the ones that didn't make it out. They were the ones that said, like, Chris, we'll be out by Christmas. But Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, well, we'll be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then they'd say, well, we would get out by Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving would come and Thanksgiving would go. And then it would be Christmas all over again. And eventually they died of a broken heart. 
And then Stockdale said to him, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Now, Collins and his team are like business gurus, and so they, they developed this idea that they called the Stockdale Paradox. And the Stockdale Paradox is that you must re- retain faith that you will prevail in the end, regardless of the difficulties, and yet at the same time, confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Like these are conflicting ideas at first glance, right? Like this, that's why it's called a paradox. And yet, this is, this is what has to happen. Like you have to retain the faith that you'll prevail in the end and at the same time confront the most brutal facts. Now they use the word faith in here, but I, I really think that like this can also be a, a definition of hope. But there's this sort of like future anticipation that comes with it that we can hold on to when we think about this idea of hope. Now given this, uh, this is important because uh, in verse 24, Paul talks about our specific posture in this waiting. And the common English translates that we were saved in hope. Commentators all over the board like acknowledge that this is a really difficult phrase to translate. Any, any given translation will have it rendered differently. But one commentator specifically says that like, perhaps the best translation of this is to say that we were saved for hope. Meaning that in this grand uh, cosmic story that we call the Jesus story, we were saved from sin and death for hope. We were liberated from the powers of sin and death so that we could be in this position of hoping. Meaning that hope then for us is our sort of vocation, our sort of MO, our sort of job description as we find ourselves in the waiting, as we find ourselves in this present suffering, as we find ourselves in all of creation, including us, crying out in the midst of these labor pains. Now in light of uh, this, uh, uh, this this understanding of the Stockdale paradox and hope, We recognize that hope then isn't like just optimism, but that hope in some ways is like this this paradox of perseverance, if you will. Like hope isn't just sort of a a blind sort of optimism, uh, sort of like ignoring the reality and the facts around us, being ignorant to the, the injustice and the pain and the suffering around us, but rather hope is walking with our eyes wide open paying full attention to the pain and suffering and reality of the world around us, and yet digging in with like this dogged sort of conviction that the story does not end here, but that the story is going somewhere. And where the story is going is towards the glory of God being revealed. All of the goodness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, the justice of God, the redemption, the renewal, the reconciliation of all things of God being fully revealed to us. Where this story is going is not some sort of disembodied heaven where after we die we float among the clouds as if that's good news. But where this story is going is the creation that we find ourselves on experiencing something like a new birth, a new heaven, a new earth, and our own sort of bodies experiencing a resurrection like that of Jesus's, experiencing healing and wholeness across the board. And that, my friends, is indeed good news. Uh, Commenting on Romans 8, uh, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright notes that at the center of this remarkable passage is one of Paul's most vivid images of hope, that of birth pangs. The whole creation is in labor, longing for God's new world to be born. The church is called to share that pain and that hope. 
The church is not to be apart from the pain of the world. It is to be in prayer at precisely the place where the world is in pain. That is part of our calling, our high but strange role within God's purpose for new creation. Meaning hope, my friends, is our vocation. That like we, we don't walk blindly ignoring or being... Uh, uh, um, uh, ignoring the, the realities of the, the world around us. But like we fully acknowledge that the cards may be stacked against us. And yet for those of us who have given ourselves to this Jesus story, we recognize that death does not have the last word. But that things like life and love and new creation ultimately do have the last word. Um, by the way, uh, as we find ourselves uh, marking the third anniversary of George Floyd's death this past week, um, I think this understanding of hope also uh, allows us as followers of Jesus to like fully get behind statements like Black Lives Matter. Because in this statement, we see this strange sort of paradox of hope. Because with it, we, we acknowledge the, the, the brutal hard facts that for our sisters and brothers of color, that like their lives haven't always mattered. That our society does not affirm this reality that black lives do matter. And yet within it is this like swelling, pregnant anticipation that our society one day will get to a place where we can fully affirm that black lives matter and that our sisters and brothers of color will never once have to question whether their lives do indeed matter. See, we as the church stand in this sort of prophetic sort of witness, bearing this sort of hope, confronting the brutal realities of the world around us, and yet speaking into it with this dogged sort of conviction that this is not the end of the story, but that the story is heading somewhere, and it's heading somewhere good. Uh, now, today is uh, Pentecost Sunday. Uh, which is sort of the, the Sunday that traditionally uh, we as the church have turned our attention to uh, the gift of God's spirit and uh, the work and the role of the spirit within our lives. And so uh, sticking with this analogy of Paul here of uh, creation and birth and new creation and labor pains, um, we might say that the spirit's role in all of this is something like a midwife. Yeah, uh, Like in the, in the midst of the birth process, like, when the midwife shows up, there's a sense of like, okay, somebody, somebody that knows what they're doing is here, right? Uh, midwife's the one who um, like assists in the process, does some coaching, some guiding, some supporting. Like, they journey with the, the mom in a, a very unique way and like kind of take control of the room uh, in a sense, yeah? And I think in some ways that this is like the, the spirit's role uh, in this present moment, in this present suffering, in this present reality. That there's this, this pregnant hope of like things heading somewhere. And the Spirit's job is to like step in like a good midwife to begin to like journey and usher creation into this new sort of life. But where does that leave us? <laughs> Do we have a role in any of this? Uh, going through uh, having two children, uh, my world has been opened up to the whole thing of like birth and pregnancy and all of that. Uh, and one of the things that I learned about was this word doula, uh, which is actually not part of your brain, which I thought it was at first, but is sort of like this um, uh, secondary support person in the process, right? Not the midwife, like the doula knows her role. Uh, she's not the midwife. She doesn't step in with that same sort of authority, but works hand in hand with the midwife to support the mom. And the doula uh, does this sort of coaching, this sort of assisting, this sort of encouragement, grabbing hand and hand and journeying side by side through the, the labor pains and through the delivery process. 
And I think, uh, in some ways, like, we're meant to be something like a doula in this, this present reality, in this present suffering, in the midst of uh, the pain and suffering and injustice. And specifically, like, I think our role is to be something like a, a hope doula. Like, creation itself is longing, crying out for new life. People in our lives, we ourselves, our friends, our families, our neighbors, our coworkers, are crying out, longing for new life. And for those of us who have given ourselves to the Jesus story, we're uniquely positioned to step into these situations and into these stories and offer hope. And what this means for us then is like we, we don't shy away from these difficult and painful situations and stories and places, but instead we step into these places with a sense of conviction. Not with like blind optimism, ignoring the, the realities uh, but instead with our eyes wide open, present, uh, to, uh, present and attentive to the pain and suffering in these moments, and yet offering a reality of hope that the story is heading somewhere. Like this is our vocation in this present moment, in this present suffering, is to be these like hope doulas. And I think in some ways like we're, we're meant to like embody uh, Paul's confidence and conviction and energies at the back half of Romans chapter 8, which for my money is like the most beautiful words of all of scripture where he says, so what are we going to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also freely give us all things with him? Who will bring a charge against God's elect people? It is God who acquits them. Who is going to convict them? It is Christ Jesus who died even more, who was raised and who is also at God's right hand. It is Christ Jesus who also pleads our case for us. Who will separate us from Christ's love? Will we be separated by trouble or distress or harassment or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, we're being put to death all day long for your sake. We're being treated like sheep for slaughter. But in all these things, we win a sweeping victory through the one who loved us. I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not death or life, not angels or rulers, not present things or future things, not powers or heights or depths or anything uh, that is created. We were saved for hope. This is our vocation. This is the, the, the job that we've been given in this present moment, in this present reality, in the present suffering. Not like a blind sort of optimism, ignoring or um, um, not, not ignoring the, the, the pain and suffering and injustice around us, but to step into these places and these situations and these stories fully aware of what's happening, fully attuned to the pain and suffering and injustice, but with this dogged sort of conviction that the story is going somewhere. Embodying the sense that like, hope is this paradox of perseverance. And so my friends, um, may you know that the story is heading somewhere. And it's heading somewhere good. May we never lose hope in that. And in fact, may we embody this sort of hope for the good of the world around us. Amen.